yourselves if you're not muted. I'm muting people. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Can you hear me okay? Give me a thumbs up. Great. Uh, I'm Eugene Cash. This is a Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. Um, we'll have the usual schedule, about a half an hour sit, half an hour talk, half an hour discussion. Let's begin with the sit. We'll see who, who else joins us while we're sitting. Very helpful to be in an upright posture so that your back is relatively straight without being stiff or tight. And letting your attention come inside so that you can begin to establish uh, an embodied awareness. And it's very helpful to scan the body to see if there's any additional holding in the body that you can relax and let go of simply, easily. to let the tongue rest at the front top of the inner palate in the mouth. 
and letting the jaw relax from there. And then just slowly scanning the shoulders, arms, hands. Torso, letting it be as relaxed as possible while you remain upright and alert. Scanning down through the chest, belly, pelvis, hips, genitals legs, feet. And then just sensing the whole body sitting here. And our only effort is to simply be aware of what's here beginning with the body. Might be warm where you are today, might be cool. You may be aware of the sensations of contact that happened when the body touches something or when something touches the body, the clothes, the contact with the cushion or bench or chair. And of course the movement that happens because our body is alive. The pulsing of the system. And of course, the movement of the breathing. And you don't have to do anything except be aware of whatever is doing itself, being aware of the breath doing itself. Or being aware of any sounds that arise and are known without trying to know them even. There's a loud sound or even a soft sound. And of course, the sound of my voice just appearing. And the same with thoughts or feelings. Being aware of them. Being aware of how they arise on their own, even if we don't want them to rise.
or maybe they leave even though we want to keep thinking about something or feeling something. Being aware of the spontaneous nature of life, knowing itself here and now in this moment. Of course, if you're moving, be aware of the movement of your head moving, watching the screen, or, or being, being aware of sights that come if your eyes are open. Or often sights come even if your eyes are closed. Sights, images, colors. Resting in that which knows. Being aware, being mindful of body, heart, mind. And the phenomena of being alive in the moment. And of course, if there's any response or reaction to whatever you're aware of, be aware of that. Notice how even that often happens without you doing it. The liking or not liking, wanting or not wanting. Mostly just happens on its own. instruction tonight. Be aware of whatever you do while you're here meditating. Whatever kind of 
active dynamic you take as you participate in the meditation. And also what happens when you don't do anything and you're just here. Let's see where the Dharma takes us tonight as we stay present moment by moment by moment.
So again, good evening, everybody. Welcome to those of you who joined us during the meditation. Um, two things. One is, uh, I don't think I've worn this shirt before when I was teaching. Is it distracting? <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay, it looks odd in my in my picture, but okay, it's okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. That was good. Thank you, Allison, for that uh, clear uh, response. Um, and I'm going to give a talk tonight about self and not self, which is a very um, important part of Buddhist teaching and a part of what important part of what we're studying, and often one of the least um, least familiar parts of our experience uh, in terms of knowing it experientially, the sense of there being a self and there's also not the sense of not self. Um, and I'm, uh, it's interesting because a number of people have asked me about this uh, and actually the person in our Sangha who asked me about it not, is not on here today, which I'm sorry about but hopefully she'll get to listen to it if it's, if the talk's any good. Um, and, um, and, but a friend of mine uh, who's got uh, two children, um, uh, you know, probably 18 and 21, both away at college and however you're going to college now, cause most of it's on zoom. Um, uh, and his daughter has gotten, they both are interested in Buddhism and, uh, and, and meditation, maybe more specifically even, but definitely meditation. And his daughter was really interested in understanding the ego and the death of the ego. And so I thought it was interesting because I was already planning to give this talk. And I, uh, uh, I sent her a little note about it and sent her some quotes and, uh, you know, I always find it uh, fascinating when people are interested in what does it mean that we have an ego and that uh, we can let go of the ego, but we don't have to be bound to it. And uh, it's really about self and not self in Buddhism. And in the traditional uh, way it's talked about is anatta, anatta, which is... Um, not self, which is uh, the emptiness of self, right? Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, the three, um, uh, are three um, par parts of the phenomenology of being awake that the Buddha said you want to pay attention to. Uh, anicca is impermanence, that everything is impermanent. And everything being impermanent, if you cling to anything, it becomes dukkha. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Um, dukkha is, you know, suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And, and so, and so the, um, the transience of everything, the impermanence of everything, even points to the impermanence of self. So it's really seeing what probably more commonly has been talked about as there's no self or there's uh, not a self, actually. And it's one of the doorways to freedom, the three 
the three components of anicca, dukkha, anatta. And of course, this is this understanding about being free of the self or liberated from the identification with what's also called in Buddhism, the small sense of self uh, is known in many uh, cultures, religions, different ways that it's spoken about by people. And it's not even about religion. Like for example, this is from Albert Einstein who wrote in 1954, he said, the true value of a human being is determined by the measure and sense in which they have obtained liberation from the self. The true, measure, the true value of a human being is determined by the measure and sense in which they have obtained liberation from the self. And so it's something for us to all keep paying attention to self and not self. And really the, the good news is they're both here and they're both actually needed. We don't need to get rid of the sense of self or deny it or feel bad about it. Uh, and of course, there'll be many levels I'll speak to this. So you'll hear it, I hope, during the talk. So I wanted to say a little bit about the self and how the self is created. And I've, I've done this many times, I've said it many times. So many, some, a lot of you have heard it, but you know, Eugene uh, was not Eugene when he was born. And I would say that's the same for everybody here. Johnny was not Johnny or Pam was not Pam or Mark was not Mark or Allison was not Allison or Brian was not Rudy was not Rudy. Not, none of us had an identity when we were born. That's not how we come into the world, right? We come into the world and we're given an identity. And if you remember back, which I pretend I remember back and all these people were pointing at me in the crib and they kept saying, oh, Eugene's good or Eugene's bad or Eugene's, you know, feeling, oh, he's so funny now. Look how he's moving. Oh, he's crying. What does he need? He needs something. Eugene needs this and Eugene needs that. Or, or oh, I love Eugene or I'm tired of Eugene. Can you take care of him now? And, you know, things like that. And I kept looking around thinking, who are they talking about? Because I didn't know I was Eugene because it's not inherent. The sense of self in that form is not inherent. It's something that develops. It's a psychological development of the ego structure and ego identity. And that's a very important part of human development and maturation that we develop a sense of self that, um, or, a, or a personality or an ego structure, right? That we can begin to function in the world, not just as a blob that needs to get taken care of, which babies, I'm not, I don't mean to say they're blobs, I love babies, but they're, um, they can't take care of themselves. They're not that mature, right? You know, when you have a baby, it's, you, you you're working, it's work. And for those of you who've been parents, you, you know, it's just, it's a job and it's a beautiful gift 
to be in that role of helping a human being to grow up and mature and realize the goodness of what it is to be alive. And so, the, and even the whole development of the sense of self, it's not like, oh, at, at a year and a half, I realized, oh, I'm Eugene, or probably it was even earlier, seven months, you know, oh, I'm Eugene, that's, that's who they're pointing at. That's me, I'm Eugene, great, okay, and now I understand everything. That's not how it works. It's a development, the personality, the ego structure is a development, right? And we start to develop the capacity to separate from the parental figures and function on our own, really one step on a at a time. And, and we mature in different ways. As a baby, there's different maturing. And as a toddler, and as a young kid, and then as a, a little person starts to really develop. And, and then there's, you know, we're a child, and then we're a bigger child. And, and then, you know, of course, many of us feel like, oh, we're just still big children. But, but you know, there's development along the way, meaning there's... Um, uh, you know, we become preteens and then teens and then young adults and then a young adults. And then there's still um, maturing that happens even after becoming an adult and coming into middle age and then an older adult and then old adults. And there's still e ego, egoic development and maturity keeps unfolding. <clears throat> Now, the piece that's important here about self and not self is ego development is not the end of the story. It's an important part of being a human being. But the maturing of self is not just the small sense of self. It's about beginning to realize a potential that's here and a capacity that's here and a gift that's here that we could call the true sense of self or Buddha nature or true nature or many different ways it's talked about in spirituality. And so we don't wanna to have to get rid of the small sense of self or throw it away or deny it or get rid of the ego, but we don't wanna just be bound to the ego identity. That's, that's a little narrow, that's a small way to live when in fact there's so much to who and what we are that's beyond the ego identity, right? And so, um, what else do I wanna say here? I've got some notes, right? So one of the things that of course is, is really interesting is to see the paradox of Eugene is here, right? Eugene as a sense of self, as an ego identity is here. And also there's something more than Eugene that's here, because Eugene is just a concept, actually. It's just an idea. It's a good idea. I like the idea. I'm used to the idea. I'm quite familiar with Eugene. He's a pretty good guy most of the time. But there's more to Eugene than the concept of Eugene. And so who were we before we were born? And who are we if we let go of our identification with the identity of Eugene, or with the identification of Maggie, or Phil, or Ben, or Benjamin, or, or Miru, or Faye, or Brad, or Tam, or whoever we 
you know, whoever we are, whoever our small sense of self is called. And what happens if you let go of that identity, even right now while you're listening? Right. I trust me, you'll still be able to hear even if you don't have any identity. I think if not, please tell me if you can't hear. But of course, you can only tell me if you can hear if you heard me. So it's also part of the paradox. Here's a poem from someone who knew a lot about uh, both self and not self. This was uh, Emily Dickinson. And she said, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They banish us, you know. Right? I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then they then they then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They banish us, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How dreary to be somebody, how public like a frog to tell one's name the live long day to an admiring bog. <laughs> I read the second part again. She's so funny. How dreary to be somebody, meaning having this name and identity. And we're always promoting it, of course. We all do. That's what the small sense of self does. How dreary to be somebody, how public like a frog. To tell, one, to tell one's name the live long day to an admiring bog. <laughs> I, I really, I like that very much. Oh, Emily Dickinson, great Buddhist Dharma teacher about self and not self. And so, of course, relaxing the identification with the usual sense of self is unfamiliar to us and often can make us nervous. And for many people, it scares people. And it, it's, it's uncomfortable. If I'm not Eugene, then who the fuck am I? Like that kind of reaction can happen. Or, or, or if Ben is not Ben, then who the heck am I talking to, right? And so it, it changes the whole field, the whole relational field, the whole phenomenological field. This is from uh, Charlotte Jokobeck, one of the great Zen teachers. She said, intelligent practice always deal with, deals with just one thing, the fear at the base of human existence. Intelligent practice always deals with just one thing, the fear at the base of human existence, the fear that I am not. And then she goes on, Jokobeck goes on. She says, and of course, I am not, but the last thing I want to know is that. The last thing I want to know is that I am not. I am, and then she goes on, I am impermanence itself in a rapidly changing human form that appears solid. I fear to see what I am, an ever-changing energy field. So this is Joko Beck's way of understanding the not-self component that's sitting in each seat right here. It's not somewhere else. It's not something you have to go find. It's already here. That's the great paradox. And so I also had a call. I think he's on this. I think you're here. He was here. Maybe he left. Phil, Phil are you here? 
He, he was here. Oh, there you are, Phil. Hi. Great. I see you. Yeah, Phil and I were talking uh, early in the week. And so, and we were talking about the paradox of Dharma. And we were going back and forth because we like to, uh, we like to chat in that kind of seeing the different views that we each have about uh, the Dharma and about reality and what's true. And he was, uh, he was quoting from Prajnaparamita, the, the, heart of perfected, the heart of perfect wisdom, right? The heart of perfect wisdom, really famous text in the Mahayana, Prajnaparamita. And in the sutra, it says, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. And, and it's, it's a way of talking about reality. And it's true here. Form is emptiness and emptiness is form. They're both right here. Again, it's the paradox of them both being here together, right? And, um, and I mean, the other way it's said is form is not different than emptiness. Emptiness is not different than form. And it's really the paradox because our minds, we always want to think, oh, it's this or that. It's one or the other. It's right or wrong. And that's not the way reality actually is presenting itself, even in this moment. Because we all have form and we're not bound by our form. And actually, in certain states of meditation, even in daily practice, sometimes when you're being mindful of your body, feeling, sensing your body, you can feel how your consciousness just goes beyond your body, right? It's empty, the body, in that way. And so it doesn't hold anything. It's just here. It has form. But it's not just form. It's also empty. And like I said, different cultures talk about this. This is from Juan Ramon uh, Jimenez. Juan Ramon Jimenez. He said, I am not I. I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see. I am this one walking beside me who I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit and at other times I forget. The one who remains silent, and, and, okay, let me, I'm gonna read a little slightly differently. I am not I, I am the one walking beside me whom I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit and at other times I forget the one who remains silent when I talk, the one who forgives sweet when I hate, the one who takes a walk when I am indoors, the one who will remain standing when I die. Right, so you hear the poetry of this non-dual duality, self and not self small sense of self and what's sometimes called the big sense of self. And, and this sense of anatta, uh, my first experience was on a long retreat doing eating meditation, which I like to do and I'm good at doing eating meditation and I'm very concentrated at doing eating and I do it very slowly and I can have a small plate of food and take an hour to eat because I'm aware of each piece, each movement, each, each, each particular 
moment of what it takes to eat and chew and swallow and digest and then take another bite, right? And so my samadhi is very good, right? My samadhi is very good. And so I'm doing this and this is way, this is, you know, 40 years ago or something like that, 35 years ago. And I'm just doing my eating meditation and all of a sudden something lets go. And, and I didn't even know it was there, which was something about my identity with the doer, let go. And all of a sudden I saw, oh, it was all doing itself. Even though it looked like Eugene is doing it, I want, it, it, you, I, and I don't know how to explain this, except you just see, oh, it's all doing itself. The hand is reaching. It's putting the fork into the food. It's putting it into the mouth. Oh, the mouth starts chewing all on its own. Saliva comes from nowhere, right? And, and helps, you know? And then the chewing, chewing, and then the swallowing helps at a throat and it all goes down. And then it stops. But, and it's like, and I do, you just see it's reality is doing itself. And it's part of the magic of practice at sometimes this doesn't always happen, doesn't always happen to me now. When I'm eating, when I was eating my dinner very quickly before getting out for the talk, that was not happening. I was, I was like, you know, getting the food in my mouth and I wanted to get the food in my mouth. I didn't have a sense, oh, it's all doing itself. Um, <laughs> I, I did manage to slow down a little bit. That was good. I have a little bit of wisdom sometimes in daily practice. Um, and, and, uh, but it was very powerful on retreat and it changed my perspective of reality that first one time, and it, it's happened many times for me, especially on retreat. This is from Saida Utejaniya. He said, insights can arise under very ordinary circumstances. For example, when smelling the bar in, of soap in the shower, you suddenly and very deeply understand that there is just this smelling and knowing. There is nobody doing it. These processes just happen by themselves. And I love this because this is like, yeah, I didn't meet uh, uh, Upandita, I mean, Utejaniya, um, you know, until at least 30 years after I had this experience on my own. And it's so great. I love the way he talks about it because he keeps pointing at people and be aware of the processes. Don't, don't add the I to them. Right, And so there's a simplicity of being he's pointing to that's talked about over and over again in the text. There's just a smell, a taste, a touch, a sight, a thought, a feeling, and they're all doing themselves. They're all happening on their own. And the self is not something to get rid of. This is a paradox. It's not really there in the first place. It's a construct, a psychological construct. It's not a thing, right? And that's, again, very important about the uh, emptiness, which sometimes is pointed to as a sense of nothingness. Nothing means no thing, no thing, nothing. And nothing is points to the empty reality, the 
the effort, effervescent arising and passing of each moment of reality, which is happening right now, right where you're sitting, right while you're thinking, right while you're having feelings about the talk. And so there's something being pointed at about letting go of the identification with the small sense of self or the ego identity or in Buddhism, the Buddha talked about it even with his son who joined the, the order, the monastic order. Um, and he gave a teaching to his, his son. And one of the things he said is, see, see wisdom very simply. This is not I, this is not mine, this is not myself, right? Or this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself is how it's written in different ways. And to see that even with the sensations or the feelings or the thoughts, because we don't own any of it. It's all coming and going on its own. There's none of it we're going to take with us. I assure you of that. I promise you, you're not going to take it with you. It's just appearing and disappearing, right? And so it's not me, not mine, not I. It's here and it's it's related to this location of consciousness. And it's beautiful to, um, to be aware of it because it's so freeing, because then consciousness can expand. And it's actually very freeing to relate to others when they're experiencing it too, because it like becomes one consciousness at times. This is from Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, one of the great Tibetan masters of the last century, who was a teacher of the Dalai Lamas. And he said, the idea of an enduring self has kept, kept us wandering helplessly in the realms of samsara for countless lifetimes. If you could simply let go of that one thought of I, you would find it easy to be free and to free others also. And of course, I'm giving you different traditions, some perspectives in the Zen teaching. There's a very famous uh, koan that uh, uh, is about uh, Weiku, who came to, with Bodhidharma. And this is part of how the transmission happens in this style of Zen. And he said, um, my mind is anxious. My mind is anxious. So some of you may have had an anxious heart and mind at times, right? So you may know what he means when he says, my mind is anxious. He says, my mind is anxious. Please pacify it. He's saying this to Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma replies, bring me your mind and I will pacify it, right? Because he's a good teacher, Bodhidharma. And uh, Weiku says, although I've sought it, Although I've sought my mind, I cannot find it. And Bodhisattva replied, there, I have pacified your mind. <laughs> That's very sad. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> really, Here, here's another version. Um, I have so much suffering, please pacify my mind. Show me your mind and I'll pacify it. I've looked for it everywhere and I can't find it. There, it is already pacified. And it's pointing to something about the 
ego identification is we believe we are somebody when we're nobody, actually. As, as um, Emily Dickinson put it, we are nobody. Are you nobody too? Uh, and in Zen, they don't quite say it the same way. They say, can you find your mind? And that the not finding of the mind, because of course, look now, where's your mind? Can you, can anybody show me their mind? Can you pick it up and give it to me? You know, put it in the chat box for a minute so I can see it and, you know, because it's just a concept and it's a beautiful concept. It's pointing at something about consciousness, but it's a concept. It's not consciousness itself, right? In Dzogchen, they say, can you find your mind? The not finding is the finding. The not finding is the finding. Unfindable, selfless nature of the mind. And here's um, my friend, colleague, teacher of mine, um, Joseph Goldstein had a, an interesting thing. He, he said, one of the ways he really practices with anatta is to put everything in the passive voice. He changes the grammar. He decathects from the I think, I feel, I see, I hear into the simple, the simplicity of, oh, thinking is happening, seeing is happening, feeling is happening, thought is happening. It's not I think. That's an add-on to reality. And we like that add-on because we're so deeply identified with what's called the sometimes the small sense of self or the ego identity. And what's beautiful is you can let go of the ego identity and it won't disappear. You just don't have to be attached to it. And of course, this is also from Joseph. He, he, he gives the, this image he uses. And the image is, have, have any of you raised your hands? Have any of you ever seen the Big Dipper in the sky? Any of you? Okay, a lot of you, maybe most of you have seen the Big Dipper. And it's beautiful when you see, I always love when I see the Big Dipper or even the Little Dipper. I'm, I'm okay with little or big, both are good. But the Big Dipper, but here's the thing, there's no Big Dipper in the sky, right? Every, you all know that. That's a concept. That's an idea that we've placed upon reality. There's stars that are in the sky. There's something in the sky, even stars is a concept, but I mean, but something happens when we see, and then we see a pattern and we call it the Big Dipper, or we call it Eugene, or we call it David, or we call it Brad, or we call it Maggie, or Octavia, even if she's not here, you know, or maybe she's off to the side. Hi, Octavia. <laughs> and, and so, but that's, it's a pattern, and it's the name of a pattern, and the patterns are beautiful, but they're not really there in the way we think they're there. And, and here's a beautiful thing about the grammar that Joseph also said. He said Wittgenstein, who is an Australian uh, philosopher, he said the sense of a separate self, 
the sense of a separate self is only a shadow cast by grammar. The sense of a separate self is only a shadow cast by grammar. And so language partly conditions our identification with the ego identity, with the small sense of self, with the personality. And when you change it from active to passive, experience changes. And I'll end the talk with one of my favorite quotes of forever, which I've said many times, but it just can't be said enough. It's so beautiful from Nizagadat. Nizagadat Maharaj, who was a teacher of Jack Cornfields and who Jack said was one of the most enlightened people he'd ever met. And, and, and Nizagadat says, wisdom tells me I am nothing, no thing. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. That's a beautiful understanding of the paradox of reality and of self and not self. So those are my thoughts for the evening about self, not self, and of course, as you know, I would love to hear from you, your thoughts, opinions, agreements, disagreements, liking, not liking, questions. And please raise your hand, use the participants button to raise your hand. And I'm gonna, and then I'll call on you and ask you to unmute yourself. And I'm calling on Rudy and asking Rudy to unmute himself. Hi, Eugene. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Wait, I'm going to switch from gallery to, to speaker so I can see you. There we go. Hi, Rudy. Hi. Um, uh, this is probably the first time I've meditated since last Sunday night. Um, usually, um, I don't um, make time, meditate, possibly once in the last once or three times in the last month, um, maybe for 10 or 20 minutes. And it's, it's because um, I never get anything out of it. It never makes me feel better. I never have a better evening or a better afternoon be after I meditate uh, when I try to do it. Uh -huh. Maybe I'm not doing it enough. Go ahead. Um, okay, but do you, what? It sounds unsatisfactory. Yeah, it, it, it just isn't giving me anything. It isn't giving me anything like it did um, uh, when I first, the first month after the 12 day retreat I did with Joseph Goldstein in 1981. Uh, with, with, <laughs> That's a while ago. With, That's a while ago, Rudy. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know. Yeah. But with that meditation, doing it for a month after that retreat, uh -huh. um, uh, about three months after the retreat, I ended up in the psych ward for the first time. Uh -huh. And so maybe that meditation wasn't really skillful if I ended up in the psych ward. 
Maybe, I don't know, because, you know, I ended up in a psych ward and sometimes it, something needs to come through us and there's, and the way the dukkha starts to let go of us is by coming through us in a very profound way. And we can end up in a psych ward and getting the help we need so that the dukkha can release. That's, oh. And that's one way to think about it. It's not necessary. Sometimes it's a, it's not a good thing, but also it depends on what happens and why and that. But my question to you is more about here, because you're saying it's not satisfactory um, uh, uh, daily, right? You're not meditating between Sundays. Yeah. Why do you come on Sunday? Is it um, because I get I get some benefit from this hour and a half that I get with you or Pam or whoever's teaching yeah. um, the, the first half hour, second half hour, and third half hour. Yeah, got it. Great. So here's my suggestion in a teacherly way. Go to other groups and sit with them during the week also. Because oh. there's so many good teachers, and I could, I'll give you a couple. I'll name two that I know of. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, well... I believe Gil Fransdale is doing a morning class every morning. And I think Mark Coleman is also doing a morning class every morning. And so you could do either one of them. And I'm sure there's much more I don't even know about who's teaching. And there's things happening. You can go either to Spirit Rock or to IMS and, and see what are they offering. And, 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 and so you can get the support that works for you in terms of Sangha, which is part of what you get here. Okay, thank you. Great, thank you. Keep practicing. Okay, Miru. How are you doing? Hi. Um, thank you for tonight's talk. I've been wanting to... Oh yeah, you're the one who asked me. Yeah, no, you're one of the people who asked me. You weren't here at the beginning, so oh, yeah. I, I told people you weren't here. I didn't say who you were. I just said that the person who asked me is not here. Yeah, so I'm doing like, Sorry about yeah. that. Um, it's okay. So, well, first thing is that I want to thank you again. I feel like this is the Anatta is one of the teachings that I feel like I need to be reminded of multiple times over the course. Um, and so I'm, I'm so grateful that you uh, spoke to us about this. And there was a sort of a sense of loving kindness that kind of came through as you're talking. Great, so great. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And one thought that just came up as I was listening to was that there is no, you know, if you think that there, the, the only things that are present always are the awareness, our breath, and our body that's always present with us. Um, I just felt that there is no self in those three at all. Like there's no concept of self. There is no, in the, in the, in the concept of the awareness, I don't think of that as mine. Um, I don't know who, who that, whose that is, but that's not mine. <laughs> I cannot claim it as mine. Which is not yours, the body? awareness my awareness. yeah awareness. my awareness is actually not a concept it's, it's a it's a concept but it's actually not true it, awareness awareness not mine mm -hmm. and i feel i feel the same way about the breath because as we're talking about the mindful eating 
I'm not breathe. I'm not breathe. I'm not asking myself to breathe. Breathing just happens very naturally. Right. Um, yeah. I think the part that I, and that the body is the same way too, as you mentioned, it just functions in its own way. Of course, when I want to walk somewhere, I walk, but pretty much I think 90% of what's happening in my bodily experience happens on its own too. Mm-hmm. So that, that thought came up to, just came up to me as you, I was listening to you that there is no self in this tree that's always present. Right. Um, but it's so hard. It's so it's so hard to actually remember that um, moment to moment. Um, so it was just such a good teaching tonight to to get reminded of that. And um, yeah. So and I in the, the not self, there's a sense of understanding the not self uh, as you were describing. Um, you know, even the stars and everything else. So it's just a concept. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt this sort of a very strong kind of yearning to be in the state, <laughs> to, to understand that uh, wisdom. Um, I, I felt like, oh, I, I wish I could be in the state for, you know, longer time than just momentary moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to share that. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. And um, be really curious about when you're, the self is here and when it's not here. Because you're pointing to it some very uh, phenomenologically accurate ways, like the body's kind of doing itself. But also, you know, um, and when you're aware, the awareness is doing itself, right? It's you're not, right? And so who's doing all the things you think somebody's doing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know is really good in, in, yeah. in spiritual teachings. Not knowing is highly valued, right? Which I yeah. say many times. And then rest in the presence of your consciousness when you don't know, or even right now, because there can be a kind of, there can be humor and laughter or, or like befuddlement, but a joyous kind of befuddlement, like what the fuck is going on after, <laughs> you know? And we don't have to know because there's nobody here to know anyways. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm playing. But really, no, great. And just see what happens, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Phil. What do you got, Phil? Hi, Eugene. Hi. You can hear me today. <laughs> so I'm not seeing you though, Phil. Um, I'm only seeing your name. This is the best that I can do right now. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, you're not here anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> so I understand how our sense of self is a construct. Uh-huh. And we just make that up. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what is it that creates the sense of self? Mm-hmm. What is it that sees, hears, tastes, touches, and smells? Mm-hmm. And are we that energetic force that does all of those things? that is not conditioned, mm-hmm. and is that not still unique to Phil as opposed to Eugene? 
I don't, I don't know. We both see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, right? So it's not unique. Well, I, I do think that in some way, you and I have come into this world distinctly different. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Independent, of our, independent of our conditioning, but just genetically. Uh -huh, sure. That, that, interfere, that influences this energetic force. Yeah, so yeah. Are we, are we what creates self? Uh, we make it up. We make up the concept. But what if there's no self? I understand okay, that. What, 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 what if the experiences you're pointing at, Phil, are like mm -hmm. the Big Dipper? They're patterns. And we put a name on it called Phil or Eugene, and we call it self. What if, it's, what just, if, what if it's just a pattern doing itself? Yeah. So are we just that energetic force that is patterning? That is what? That is creating patterns. Oh, patterning. Um, uh, no, the patterns are doing themselves. <laughs> You're, this is Phil and I have this conversation in different forms. We, we're good with this because we're, we're each on slightly different sides of the same coin is how I understand it, Phil. And, uh, and I always appreciate your precision about looking for more clarity. Because uh, on, on the other hand, here's the other way I could answer you. It's like, oh, I have no idea who and what we are. And that may be even more true than anything. But I'm also very, I'm also very comfortable with that. Because I don't, I don't actually care who and what we are, but I, but that and even that is paradoxical because I I know how to I care and I don't care at the same time. You know, you know that poem. I think it's T. S. Eliot who said, "Teach us to care and not to care," and that's such a beautiful understanding of the Dharma. Teach us to care and not to care, because that's where the Dharma is in that paradox of both caring and not caring, of yes and no, of right and wrong, of self and no self, or not self. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Phil, I know we'll talk more. <laughs> Thank you, Eugene, I appreciate your- Nice to see you here. Even though I can't see you, but I saw you before. <laughs> okay, Lon, please unmute yourself, Lon. Yeah, actually, it's Alicia. Alicia, well, it doesn't read Alicia here. <laughs> Lon, got, Lon got into my iPad and changed it. Um, so when I love the, I love this self and not self the exploration of it. And I think like Miru, or maybe similar, um, since I'm not living her experience, like yeah. the, I'm drawn to, I want those experiences of dropping the ego. It just seems so freeing. 
-hmm. the burdens drop, the anxieties drop, you're not attached to mm -hmm. the dukkha. Mm -hmm. um, so, is that bad? No, <laughs> you, you can want anything you want. It's fine with me, generally. You know, if it's not, I'll tell you. But yeah, sure, you can want that. And that wanting is a very wholesome wanting. In That's not attachment. No, and... no, don't worry. If you get attached, you'll suffer. But, but really, the wanting, the Buddha wanted to get enlightened, and he was not shy about that, right? He was... He gave himself to that. And yeah. so, and that's how I hear what you're saying. You're wanting a deeper understanding of what we're talking about, and you can feel what's true about it or the goodness of it. You would like it more, um, you, you would like it more fully known. Yeah. Right? And so here's my two cents for tonight is try doing, putting, things in the passive voice this week, right? Yeah. When you're saying, oh, I'm so pissed at that person. Instead of saying, I'm so pissed, say, oh, pissed, being pissed is happening. Right. Right. And right. see what happens. But be a little rigorous about it because it's part of every day, every moment practice. And, you know, so, oh, I'm tired. Oh, tiredness is here instead of right. I'm tired. And we're just taking the verbal uh, shadow that Wittgenstein was pointing at so beautifully, which I've never heard that before. I just heard that from, from Joseph. And it was like, oh, that's good. And, and, you know, and so we can really play with it. So, so follow-up, thank you. And as a follow-up... So there's the being on retreat and doing the eating meditation and having the experience of not self. And then there's the, oh, class is starting at six. I got to get the food in me. <laughs> is not self, not self is present yeah. in, in both contexts, right? Yeah. Like yeah. whether or not you have access to it, not self is, is happening along with the ego at the same time. Well, and, or, uh, I'm aware of one or the other. Uh, How about, let's put it that way. Some, some things in the foreground, like the, my personality, the small sense of self, the egoic self is in the foreground as if it owns the whole show. Yeah, yeah. When in fact, when I relax or I step back or I become aware often, I see, oh, that's not all that's here. And like, even now, like I'm here, I'm, I really, I've been appreciating how devoted I've been to teaching lately. I spend a good amount of time preparing, like, you know, yesterday and today. And, and I, I really love being here with you all and doing this. And, but as I'm doing it, and I feel very into it, and even identified with it at times, but also there's something at times just sits back and it's like, I see this you, and what I'm, and I'm aware of what I'm saying, and I'm aware of some of the people in the background that I'm seeing, and I'm aware of the screen, and I'm aware of the room, and I'm aware of the space of consciousness in which this is all happening. Mm -hmm. And that's always here, actually, and always available. And of course, it's more available the more you know familiar we are. Just like playing the piano, the more you play, 
the more familiar you are with the, you know, the, the scales and the chords and the patterns. Right, yeah. So I see you getting that. And I want to just encourage you to, when you forget, just remember that you already know. Because you do. Doesn't mean it's always here, but it's it, but it is here. It's a bit in here means it's available to discover or rediscover. Mm -hmm. Once I get uh, let the ego. Yeah, let the ego relax a little bit. Yeah. Don't just be identified, connected to it. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Ben. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? You're not asleep, I hope. <laughs> Please unmute, Ben. I, I hope this works. Oh, the mic works. Okay. I've been having mic difficulties. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I was, I don't know. I guess I'm just like asking if you have extra thoughts on the, like the difference between uh, understanding not self versus uh, sort of, uh, or like residing, dropping into not self versus uh, like a pathological dissociation. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, that's important. Say it again though, I wanna, cause I'm having to adjust my own computer here while you were talking, say it again, you said something good. That was important. Uh, yeah, what's the difference What's the difference between dropping into not self versus a pathological dissociation? Uh, dissociation is a dissociation from reality. Not self is not a dissociation from reality. It's understanding a different level of reality. Does that make sense? Dissociation uh, is usually based on um, uh, some kind of traumatic psychological situation that one has never metabolized. And so there's this uh, a way to protect oneself by disassociating, right? And, and separating from the ego in a way that is not helpful. Uh, the not self is a way of coming into a bigger understanding of the paradox of both ego or small sense of self and a bigger sense of self or not self. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying about caring and not caring. It's yeah. like they're happening simultaneously. The yeah. self that's having the hard experience, you know, or whatever, the self that's having an experience cares about that experience. And the self that, you know, the, the, the big self that knows of all these processes uh, sort of less from the insider view, like sort mm -hmm. of, yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that. It's, oops. oh, shit. I'm having problems with my computer. But anyhow, uh, you're back again. You disappeared for a second, but I know you're still here, even though you're not here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, okay. But yeah. Some, something like that. It's not a, it's different. Di disassociation in the way you're talking about it is, um, is, uh, is part of an illness, is one way we could say it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard some people talk about him on a spectrum. Like there's a there's a spectrum between dissociation and the healthy version, but it sounds like you're saying they're not even. I don't I don't see them quite the same thing. I think there's a different thing that happens. It's not it's when the sense of self is a construct, letting go of the construct. And what happens if you let go of the sense of Ben right now? Do you disappear? Are you still okay? Has anything actually changed except that construct? Right? Where disassociation is a psychological reaction to difficulty or trauma. And it may be more, it may be a deeper psychological conditioning. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Okay, that was Ben. I've got to get rid of you, Ben. How do I do that? Okay, here, Faye. Hi, Faye. Please unmute yourself. Okay, I think I'm unmuted. And I'm, yeah. I don't know. I may have gotten my question answered just in hearing some of the other people, but I think I'm just trying to get this through my head, um, the understanding of it. Um, so if a person, say me, <laughs> is going to, you know, extreme like physical and mental dukkha suffering mm -hmm. yeah. and it's just the body that's suffering, it's the mind that's suffering, mm -hmm. but it's not me. Well, it, it both are true. You're, you are suffering right? The one who's identified with the body, with the mind, with the heart, with experience, which we all are. That's part of the, the egoic self. We're all identified with all of that stuff. But, but there's another part of you, like your awareness, that is not identified with any of that. Yeah, that's, I was just going to ask you something about like the awareness, like, um, I don't know. Like, what is that? So and exactly, what is that? It's not. It's nothing. It's not a thing. But it's here. And I think my question then made me think of the poem or the thing that you read towards the beginning, where the one guy said, "Here, I'll take your mind." Yeah. 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 Do you want me to read it again? Yeah, could you? Sure. Oh, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Where is it? Um, uh, I can't even find it. Um, um, so there, I'm having so much suffering. Please pacify my mind. Show me your mind and I'll pacify it. I've looked everywhere for it and I can't find it. There, it's already pacified, right? So he's pointing at the phenomena of a concept like my mind, right? Uh -huh. And yet the guy can't find his mind. Can you find your mind right uh -huh. now? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> really, because there is no mind, but there's something. There are patterns. 
There are ways things function in conventional reality and they're part of reality and we want to be aware of them and actually treat all of it kindly, including our small sense of self. Really, I, I, a friend of mine, a teacher in the Diamond Approach, he called me just before the, earlier, a couple hours ago. I said, oh, I can't talk. I'm teaching about self, no self, and da 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 And he was like, um, he was telling me a little what he was talking about, about um, how important it is for everybody to be kind to themselves. And even though there's no self, right? It doesn't matter that there's no self. You still need to be kind to what we're calling is not, you know, what we think there's no self that, or the ego identity. We want to be kind to ourself and see that there's more to us than that sense of self. So that is a bit paradoxical too. It is, it is. But uh, I still, I, of course, I know you and I know you're a little bit about the duke you're dealing with. And I want you to be really kind to yourself. Really, because that's what's needed. And it's not all of what's here. The suffering and the kindness is not the totality of the picture. That's all we're pointing at with the paradox of self and not self. Okay. Thank you. And thank I appreciate everybody who spoke up too. I, I got a lot from everybody. Thank you for saying that. Me too. Much appreciation to everyone. And I just need to say one thing that I always forget to say before the end, which is reminding you a little bit about Donna and the importance of your generosity in terms of SFI and the teaching. And I believe um, uh, and Paul Irving has put something in the chat box. If you want to offer Donna, he shows you where you can go online uh, and offer some Donna. And also Karen and Francisco have put it in. So there's a lot of people supporting the donation. And then also I'm just looking at chat. Oh, great. Maggie put in that Bob Stahl does a noon sit on Tuesday with uh, Insight, Sammy Cruz. Bob's a great, great guy. Really good, I love Bob. The old friend and colleague, I've talked with Bob. So anyhow, just reminding you a little about Donna. Thank you for your generosity. It's mostly appreciated. Let's sit for a minute as we end. We'll do a little sharing of merit. Appreciating our good fortune that we're here with whatever our dukkha may be that we're here, we're, there's, we're conscious, we're alive, and we have this possibility to keep understanding the dharma, the truth of the way things are, and that we have the good fortune of practicing together. And that good fortune is not, is not part, is part of both the small sense of self and the not self, it's bigger than our small sense of self, the good fortune that's here. And so of course we send it out in every direction, in every realm, in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from dis-ease, from unsatisfactoriness, 
from misunderstanding both self and not self. May we all awaken and discover the truth of our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May we all be free. see you, be with you. I think I'm here next week, but I'm not positive. I'm going to try to look really quickly in my calendar and see if I'm here or not. I'm here. Oh, it's a, it's a big day in my life. I'll tell you about it next week. Yeah, should be good. Okay, everybody, please be well. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Really. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Night, everyone. Thanks. Nice. Love from New York. Love from New York. <laughs> hey, hey, thank New York. That gets you. Thank you. Who was it from New York? Are they gone? They're gone. It was oh. Wilbur. Oh, hey, oh, Wilbur. Hey, bro. Oh, man. Wilbur. I haven't seen him in a long time. <laughs> hey, Todd. Great to see you. Okay. I very enjoyed it. Thanks for letting me be part of it. Of course. I've only known Todd about uh, 50 years or so. 50. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.